Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Millions of Screens. This episode is brought to you by Westworld. Westworld follows the dawn of artificial consciousness and the evolution of sin in a dark odyssey that begins in a world where every human appetite can be indulged. Don't miss the show that Decider hailed a technical masterpiece. Westworld is Emmy eligible for outstanding drama series and all other categories. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Now what follows is our full, unedited conversation with Elizabeth Moss, where we touched on a plethora of topics, from The Handmaid's Tale, to her turn as Shirley Jackson and Josephine Decker's Shirley, to her upcoming role in Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, and finally, and most importantly to one of our hosts, the Chicago Cubs. I should also note that we began recording as we were chatting about one of her earliest screen credits, a film called The Last Supper, where as best as I can tell, she plays a missing girl who only appears on flyers during the opening shots of the movie. I think I worked like one day on it. We were just That's looking at the amazing. Wikipedia entry, and I think yeah. you're a missing girl, potentially. Like, what is that? Has anyone even seen, like, I probably shouldn't Leo be did. It's just Leo, yeah. When he was a teenager. I watched it, like, when it first it? came out. Yeah, it's essentially, I tried to explain the plot to Libby and Ben. Essentially, it's a group of liberals get together uh, every week and meet with someone who has a, a opposite opinion of them. So, like, conservatives, the religious right. And then they decide to try to change their mind. If they can't change their mind, they give them a poison bottle of wine, which is a different color from the normal bottle of wine. It's actually like not a bad plot. This is what up, I'm saying. They, they make up, it time for a remake. They end up murdering a bunch of people. I'm spoiling the movie. They end up murdering a bunch of people. And at the end of the movie, spo- spoiler alert. Was in the movie, Leo. Oh, it's fine. Calling, I think you can proceed. I'm, I don't remember. I'm calling Jason Blum like now, being like, "Hey, I heard this <laughs> plot that sounded really cool. Apparently, it's been done." But <laughs> I mean, you were you were in it, so I guess you would have some kind of intellectual. Well, who did I play in it? Do you remember? No are you sh- I, like? Are we? Are any of us actually sure that I'm in this movie? Uh, only I. Why would IMDb lie to us, you guys? What <laughs> Ben? I just, it would be great if it was an IMDb typo and this whole conversation was generated out of like just a mistaken memory from Leo's childhood. Yeah, I will, my, I will rewatch it tonight, I promise. Okay, <laughs> my only knowledge of this is from my own IMDb page. <laughs> Where I'm like, what is this movie that I did? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am excited to learn about season four of The Handmaid's Tale. We actually- So am I, Libby. The, <laughs> I know. We premiered the um, the teaser trailer for season four, promising us that the show will be back in 2021. As an executive producer, can you talk a little bit about what the process of, of bringing us and, and restarting production looks like on your end and, and what kind of progress you're making and, and what kind of considerations you have to take? Um, it was just on a call tonight about it um you know it's there are a lot of prongs to the to the process and um obviously there are all the health and safety regulations that have come out from 
you know, if they're from Canada, that one's called Section 21. There's the white pages, I think it's called. There's all the guild outlines that we've all seen. So there's a lot of stuff to look at. Some are mandates and some are suggestions. Um, and there's a lot of information that's like coming in every day. Uh, so we're kind of dealing with that, grappling with that, having conversations, trying to figure out, you know, how do we make the show? Because we have almost all of the scripts um, written. So, oh. you know, yeah. So how do we make the show that we wanted to make? Um, you know, uh, how do we stick to the show that we have made for the past three years? Um, at the same time, keeping it safe. At the same time, making right. sure that it's safe for everybody, for the crew, for the cast, for, for everyone. Uh, so that's that's the balance. And we certainly don't have all the answers, but we're having conversations about it every day, trying to figure it out. Um, we shot two weeks. So um, there are actually four shots that I directed in that teaser. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a shot of Nick and there's a shot of um, there's a shot of Fred and a couple others. But uh, um I was very excited to see those. Uh, so there's a, I shot, I, I only directed for like a day and a half, but um, we have a little bit in the can, but not enough to make anything. So, so yeah, it'll be 2021, but we're hoping to go back obviously much sooner than that. Absolutely. So June went on a real journey um, in season three and, and she made some choices <laughs> at the end that I think some <laughs> fans might've been split on. Tell me, this in a world when executions are sort of summarily uh, taking place all the time how do we how do you keep it realistic that june is still alive and and how much of it is just about hannah for her if she was able to get hannah out is that it like would she be done well, to answer, I have a couple, couple answers for you. The cold, the kind of cold executive producer answer is like, <laughs> the, reason, the reason why June is still alive is because I, that, you know, I'm the lead of the show. I'm number one on the call. It's because the lead actress insists we not yes, kill her off. Somehow own. I insist on being on the show. No, like that's you just, we can't, you know, I, of course it's called the handmaid's tale. So we can't kill the handmaid. Um, I mean, I guess we could, but I don't, and I hope people don't want that. Uh, but, you know, we, so that's, that's one answer. The other answer is really good. The other question is really good, though. Like, if she could get Hannah out, would she go? I think 100%. I think absolutely. Um, I think she, I, I think that's the only reason, I think that used to be the only reason that she stayed, I should say. That used to be the only reason that she stayed. I think it's gotten, it's morphed a little bit in season three into it's Hannah, but it's also... She's gotten a more global sort of idea of what her role could be in the resistance. So I think if she could get Hannah out, she would go immediately. But I think that she's also now, and this is what sees the end of season three was about. She also is like, oh, wait, there are all these other kids. And perhaps the way to really... Can I swear? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, like, oh yes. Yeah. This is okay, an explicit great. podcast. Perfect. Excellent. Apple um, knows. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, you know, if I really want to fuck with Gilead, if I really want to hit them where it hurts, it's get it's taking their kids away. 
And um, so I think she's kind of now straddling getting Hannah out, but also wanting to enact change on the ground and dealing with that as we go into into season four. Um, Yeah. Right. Uh, At the risk of shifting tracks too abruptly, uh, (laughs) I jotted this question down and Ben seemed to. Oh no, you froze. Oh no, he froze. I know he froze. I think I know what he's going to ask too. This was the question that Leo wrote, and as soon as he wrote it, I couldn't think about anything else. And I'm pretty sure it's the um, it's the idea that you have to work so close to camera so much of the time. Like the way that this show is shot, um, not only do you have certain moments where you're you're looking directly into the camera, but there are there are so many close ups of your face that one balancing those that performance is very very difficult. And two, there has to be something, you know, visually interesting about that kind of repetition, about seeing those shots again and again and again. Um, But for you as an actor, like, how do you ignore it? Like, how do you start to build up that tolerance for just having the camera be right there while you're still living in a world and a narrative where it doesn't exist? It's kind of a combination of um, I don't see it and uh, I I just don't, um, I just don't see it sometimes. It's weird. And, but also then completely contradict myself and say, I also use it and know that it's there at times and find it a very useful tool. As at the risk of sounding a bit cheesy, um, for me, the camera and the lens is, is my window to the viewers. So I know that it's not in the moment. I know there's just, you know, there's a man on the other side sweating and covered in, you know, wearing black and... <laughs> and um, swearing under his breath. But I, I, I know that's not what's happening in the moment, but I know that that is my, that is my window into, into the viewers' homes, really. And so for me, I, I love that connection. I love, I love how close it is, and I love, I, I love it feeling um, extremely intimate, and I feel like um, with a good camera operator as well, and I adore camera operators, and I think they're incredibly important um, members of a team. And I, uh, the fact that you can, you sort of, a good camera operator, you have a string between you and the camera and you and the lens, you and them. And that string, you know, it moves and, and, and it can stretch and it can come back together. And it really is you, you, a good camera operator you feel really connected with. So for me, it's just another tool that I use. So I don't look at it like something that's like, what are you doing? Get out of my face. It's something that I feel very connected with. I have to commend Ben. Because he he voiced that so much more artfully than I wrote it down when I just wrote it. really did. I wrote, like I was amazed it was the same question. I wrote, how close is too close to the camera? <laughs> touching. That's amazing. It just seems like seems like yeah. the easy answer is touching and you're yeah, like, the, the lens, often the lens gets touches too close to the camera. Ben's like, uh, this is too close. I'm gonna help. Too close. <laughs> yeah. So let me pull back a little further than the camera. Um, so my wife and I sat down and watched Shirley earlier this week. It was very rude that you filmed my, uh, lockdown process because (laughs) it was frightfully accurate. Uh, but so many of your recent roles, uh, regardless of the, what their official genre genre is, they seem to explore the horror of, of what it is to exist as a woman in the world. Um, is that something that specifically intrigues you? 
so that it runs as a, as a thread before, between these performances? Or is it just that existing in the world as a woman is such a horror show that, that it, it just is a reality of every movie? <laughs> uh, I guess it's a bit of both, honestly. I mean, I think that first and foremost, I try to play characters um, as truthfully as possible, right? Whatever, whoever they are, um, whether they're similar to me or not similar to me, I try to just be as truthful as possible to the human experience. Uh, and I and I think that as well as that, I am very attracted to people that are uh, playing characters that are going through. Uh, extraordinary circumstances or challenges or whether they come from themselves or, or an outside presence, you know, I, I, for me, that's just more interesting to play than somebody who's really happy and doing well and has all their, you know, shit together. I'm like, what's interesting about that? That sounds really boring. So I think that's, that those are, those are a couple things. And I do, I do think that there's a lot of stuff about being a woman that is, is, is a horror show and can be much more difficult. I was literally just talking to, um, three women about this and we were saying you know that it just there's a there's just things that you encounter that I suppose in a way you get used to um, they just become kind of normal sometimes right. and you forget that like oh right like if I was a man I wouldn't have to deal with that we were talking about actually um, to give you an example we were talking about how men can kind of have and I'm not saying either of you Leo or Ben are like this eh, you're, probably let's awesome. see. you're probably awesome men it's not but some hasty. men some men, um, you know, you go, you, you say about some men like, oh, you know, he's just difficult or he's a difficult personality or like, oh yeah. And me and my producing partner, we always say uh, like, oh, that's nice for them, but we couldn't, we can't actually do that. Like we don't have to, we, we, we actually have to be nice or at least not have a reputation for being difficult. We're not allowed to be difficult like that. And so I think that's an, that's an example of how it's like, oh yeah, that's something that you get used to as a woman that you forget about. But to answer your question, like I do think it can be a horror show, but I think a different people's experience, whether you're a man or a woman can be a horror show. So true. I just happen to be a woman. So that's the one I play. <laughs> well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny, we were just talking on, on the podcast this past week about a coworker of ours who was writing about all these women in Hollywood who had been labeled difficult and like never worked again. Mm. And, yet, and yet men, as you were saying, can have this reputation and go yeah. on and have, you know, fulfilling careers, as it were. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to see that list. That must be really interesting. But it's true. I think it's changing a little bit in, in a way. It's definitely getting a little bit better. Um, women are starting to understand, like, I think we're starting to go, hey, wait a second. Like, we do, I'm not being difficult. I'm just using my voice. But I think it's very true. It's like, yeah, there's, you know, you hear all the time, like, oh, yeah, she's a nightmare. And you're like, is she? Or is she just... Did she just say something that she felt? <laughs> she spoke her. She spoke her mind to uh, some dumb man in power, probably. I've probably. absolutely been labeled a nightmare on this podcast. And <laughs> Never. Honest, I resent it. Never, Libby. I'm the nightmare. Okay. If anyone is, this is good, guys. This is good. I think it's good that we unpack this. We just gotta talk it out. We gotta talk good. it out. That's right, Libby. You speak your truth. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Not to go too far down into the Shirley rabbit hole, but there was a line in the movie that I just need you to confirm that it is true. When Shirley <laughs> says, "A clean house is evidence of mental inferiority," I just need to know that that's. I need to know that's true for my own well-being. <laughs> 
and self-esteem. You know what? It's true, if it's, it's true if it's true for you, guys. It's a, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, 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 under, I, um, I don't, I think it's different for different people. Shirley Jackson, I don't think actually said that. I will clarify that. Um, she apparently was very good at keeping a, keeping a home, but, um, but I think you can take that to the bank. Yeah, I think it's fine. Well, I, I, you know what? I don't care. We're, we're a movie podcast now. It's fine. Yeah, um, but it's fine. along the lines of, of just your entire career, like, this was kind of your first time playing a, a, a real, a version of a real person. Is that correct? Yeah. How did that, did that change how you approached that role? Or was it fictionalized enough that, that you felt it was your own? And, and did it just change your process at all? Um, it, it was fictionalized enough that I think I did feel um, a lot of freedom in a way that I, I was pretty comfortable with. I would love to at some point really play a real person who, you know, and, 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 and really like, you know, give an extremely accurate portrayal. I think that'd be really interesting. It was fictionalized enough that I didn't feel too much pressure, which was good in a way because, um, it was my first time doing that. So I think it was nice to kind of like put my toe in the water, do the research, read the books, um, read the biographies, you know, and, and, and do as much research as I could with Michael Stuhlbarg, but not feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm playing Margaret Thatcher and I've got to get it exactly right. Um, yeah, I'd love to try that someday, but like, I think that, I mean, not Margaret Thatcher. Get <laughs> <laughs> Jason Bloom on the phone I'm for that. I'm coming like, for you, Meryl. I'm coming. I know you want an Oscar for it, but... Um, yeah, so I feel like that is, was a nice beginning step to, um, that kind of thing. We did do a lot of research for, um, Shirley and Stanley, but in the end, I, you know, I remember looking at Michael and saying, all right, like, I'm afraid what we have to do now is we're going to have to throw it out. Like, otherwise we're going to be crippled by our ideas of how we have to portray these people in this extremely accurate way when, that's not what the script is that was written. So that's not the movie that's being made. So we had to kind of let it go in a way. Uh, I wanted to ask if I could really quick about um, just kind of scene partners in general. And and most of my knowledge is going to come from handmaids because that's what I've spent the most time with. Um, That's good. Well, well, watching, (laughs) uh, watching those scenes where there's, there's just, There's just, there's a lot of kind of, um, there's a lot of tension which within each exchange. There's a lot of mm-hmm. kind of, whenever somebody has to share information with someone else, it's this delicate kind of trust exercise where yeah. almost every word and every gesture and every line has to convey something very specific for the other person to, you know, to even want to respond in any sort of authentic way or, or move the scene forward or find purpose within that moment. Um, I, I don't understand how you do it with so many different people. Like there's, there's obviously the series regulars who have to kind of come in and learn that specificity, but you also have so many new cast members who step in and they have to get it just right. And yet TV moves so quickly and you know, there's so much nuance packed in like as a, as the top of the call sheet person, do you kind of help at all? Like, do you set a tone? Do you set like the the barometer for how to gauge those scenes and, and try to give people time? Are there tips that you have like when you're trying to, 
you know, bring somebody new in and make them feel comfortable? Like, what's that kind of process? It's interesting. It's a very good question, Ben. Um, I think that it's changed over the years. You know, it's funny on a show because the first season, when you're when you're doing a first season, no one's seen it. So nobody knows what it is. And then by the time you get to a third season or a fourth season, you now have people, guest actors coming in or guest directors coming in who have seen the show and they're perhaps or hopefully fans of the show. So they, so they sort of, it's a good and a bad thing because in a way they come in and they're, they have a knowledge of the show, they understand it and they know what it is. It's it, it, the negative side of it is they are like, Oh my God, there's, you know, whoever it is now, oh, there's Serena or there's, you know, somebody and they're like a little bit starry eyed. So I think that you kind of have to, um, because of my involvement in the show as an EP, I really live with the scripts for a very long time. I saw the first scripts back in December for this, for this oh, season, wow. December 9, 2019. <laughs> so like, oh. and knew what they were going to be in July of last year, you know, of 2019 and knew where we were going with the show. So like I live with these stories for so long and I think about it so much. And I, so I think by the time somebody gets there, whether they're new or whether they're regular, our regulars have a pretty good understanding of what they're doing. They're amazing, but you know, you're so in, you're so in deep and you've thought about it so much that it's, it feels relatively easy to, to, to communicate to them, this is what this is where we are in the season. This is where we are in the episode. This is what the purpose of this scene is. This is, like you said, the specificity of this moment. And this is where we're going with June. And this is why you're here. And you you just have thought about it so much. So I think you know you want to kind of. I try to welcome them into that fold and try to give them as much information as possible. And give them scripts if possible, tell them what, ha a lot of our guest actors show up and they have no idea what happened before, right. you know, in the episodes leading up to these episodes, they're like, I don't know right. where we are or why we're here. And so I try to like, kind of be like, and then that's why you're here. And and like, and they're like, wow, because they don't know sometimes, but in a way, my job is the easiest job in a way. Cause like I, I, it's not easy, but it, in a way, my job, I know the part so well, I know the character. I've thought about it a lot. I know what I'm supposed to do. I can, you know, just put me on and I'll, I'll do it. So I, I, I do have time to think about a lot of the other elements um, because mine, I'm kind of like, it's fine. June's fine. We'll, be fine. we'll do that. It'll be all right. <laughs> That's good. And yeah. did you ben, have a, a follow-up follow follow question? question? Uh, I do have a follow-up question, which is where I burn off any goodwill that I've earned thus far. You're like, you like, um, like teed him up. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I, I'm, I am a massive fan of Anne Dowd and Anne Dowd is the, nicest, kindest, most generous person I may have ever met in my life, but I've only yes. met her off the set. So I'm very curious what it's like to work with her in those scenes when she has to do the things that she does in the show. Like, I don't oh. know if she just flips it back and forth or if she's just like that person while she's working or like, I don't. So please tell me anything you oh, can I'm about. So, I'm so glad you asked because it's, it's so fascinating. It's, she completely flips it off like she completely goes back and forth she literally will it's psychotic in the most like genius way she is as you know like the nicest person the nicest person like she will so she'll be doing a scene where she's like girls like blah 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 i'm like 
cattle prodding people and yelling and burning people's hands and she and and then it finishes and she's like we often have a lot of background um actors we have a lot of handmaids often that she's working with you know and as soon as it it, there's a cut she's like how are you sweetie are you okay how's your boyfriend did you get to see him recently or she'd be like how's your father is he feeling better like she knows everyone's story everyone's family like She'll, she's constantly being like, is everyone drinking water? It's very important that you hydrate. Like, it's inc- is everyone well fed? Did you get a snack? Did you get a, like, she's like, it's crazy. And then there's like action and she's like, goes right into Aunt Lydia. It's, it's truly like mental. That would make Aunt Lydia so much more terrifying to me. Like if I saw the, the <laughs> yeah. juxtaposition of just like, oh, this person's super nice, then all of a sudden she was a monster again. It would just, I would be right back into the place. So <laughs> I know, to when, but when she's in it, she is in it, man. Like she's like, I remember we were doing a scene once in season series in, in season three and she pulled my chairs. We were we were acting and she pulled my chair so hard that I almost fell out of it. And I literally I, I don't know if it's in the show or not, but I literally like looked at her and was like, it. like <laughs> Jesus Anne. But she's in it. I mean she's just when she's in it, she's in it. Yeah, she did. Brilliant. She did tell me once that she enjoys to get out that side of herself, like that that is a real part of her, and playing these roles allows her to kind of. So maybe she was enjoying it a little bit. Maybe I it think was she does. A bit of I think I think she does enjoy it. I can see that, which I love. You pick such good directors for your projects. Like you work so closely with some of these great visionary minds. You talked a little bit about your relationship with the camera, with the camera people. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship working with directors and and how that has evolved over your career. It's funny, I was just talking about this earlier. Um, This director, uh, do you know Andrew Patterson? You guys seen The Vast of Night? It's so good, go watch it on Amazon. I was talking to Andrew Patterson. Yeah, and he, I was telling him like, uh, the thing that I miss most as a, I'm not a director, but like my little tiny directing moment, um, the thing that I missed the most was, was having a relationship with the director. I love that. I value that so much. It's, it's something that is my, it's probably like the most important thing for me is to be able to have that relationship with the director and talk to them and throw out my bad ideas and, and, and have them guide me and, 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 tell them to fuck off sometimes and they can tell me to fuck off. And like, I, that's, I really thrive on that relationship. So it, it's, um, it has, it is a really important element for me, which is possibly why I've been pretty kind of, um, careful and, and about my choices there because it is something that is really important for me. I, I don't really feel like I can ignore the director and like not listen to them. I value what they have to say. So it has to be a good relationship for me. So, uh, I think, I think as well as that though, I will say that I, I have having kind of most of my career has been in television. I, um, I've worked with so many different kinds of directors. So, you know, I'll work with six, seven, eight directors in a season, um, especially in the earlier days when you have like 13, you know, 13 episodes and stuff. Or, so you get used to working with a lot of different kinds of people and you get used to a lot of different kinds of directors and having to adapt your process to, to whatever it is that week, that whoever's come in. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty good at like, 
adapting my own process to, to actually fit the directors. I have two real quick follows. One, and this is a stupid question, but <laughs> I'm as glad someone you always preface them that way. That's, that's so helpful. I like, I think, set, for I like the to set the, the bar real low. Does, <laughs> does, does EP Elizabeth ever argue with now director Elizabeth about like camera package or things that you, that you want? <laughs> Great question. Why does he always do that? I know it's really good. I think he sets the bar low. So then we're like, Oh, that's actually not a stupid question. That is um, the room strategy. It is a hundred percent. Yes. Even right now, as we're looking at this at season four and going back, even right now, kind of considering, you know, is there something that I really, really love and, and as a director would fight for that as an EP, I'm like, you can't do that. Yeah, it's got to go. Or like, that can't take that long to shoot. Like, absolutely. But I also do it as an actor, executive producer as well, um, fighting with those types of multiple personalities, like constantly going like, okay, which personality am I going to go with for this moment? <laughs> am I going to be the actor who says, this has to be the way that it is and this is the only way I'm going to do it? Or am I going to be the executive producer that's going to be like, absolutely no way, you can't do it like that? And you have to kind of choose which it's going to be. But what what the guiding rule, the guiding principle is always, always, no matter what hat you're wearing, is what is the best thing for the show? That's it. It doesn't matter what is going to make the best scene, what's the best take, what's the best episode. That's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter who you are, whether what role you have on set, that's the only thing that matters. Uh, and then when you were speaking about, you know, the, the sort of menagerie of directors you've gotten to work with over, over the years, if we didn't ask uh, about working with Wes on the French dis- Dispatch and what that, oh, yeah. that was like. God, that was so cool. I'm such a huge fan of his, obviously. We all are. And, and I've seen every single one of his movies. And it's been a, it was, it's been a dream of mine for a long, long time to be in a Wes Anderson film. And the only way I can describe it is that like making a Wes Anderson film is like being in a Wes Anderson film, if that makes any sense. Like he looks like he's in a Wes Anderson film. All the actors that are in Wes Anderson films are there. Everyone, the set looks like, it just feels like you're actually in it. And maybe that doesn't make sense, but it's so easy, uh, creative. That myth about auteur filmmakers being at all, difficult or non-collaborative I've really found to not be true is it, it, it was just so easy it was just so kind of like calm and lovely and friendly and everyone was lovely and it was a really we all kind of no there were no trailers or anything we all stayed in the same hotel and traveled to set together um in a couple of vans it was just lovely. It was like a lovely experience. And, and he's just obviously a genius, but he knows exactly what he wants. And he knows exactly what he's got to do. And it is a well-oiled machine, but there is still room for <laughs> co- collaboration and creativity and ideas. Um, it was lovely. It was the best experience. Is there a specific scene? I mean, without giving anything that an NDA would, refu- would not allow you to give away, is there a scene or a scene partner that you had in the movie you're like, the most Wes Anderson moment in this Wes Anderson movie in the scene or off or offset. Maybe offset offset could work too. I mean, I will tell you, I don't know if there's like a Wes Anderson scene, but I did, I get to work with Bill Murray and which I don't think is like a spoiler. I think it's like, he's in the trailer. I'm in the trailer. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but he, I got to talk to him about, Oh, that's actually, there's a better one. Um, (laughs) 
No, I'll tell the other one. Um, that I got to talk to. <laughs> I got to. He's a big Chicago Cubs fan, and I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan. So I got to talk. To, I finally worked up the guts near the end of. I only. I was only there for, by the way, like a couple of days. Like I do not have a big part in the movie. Um, but at the end of my couple of days, I got to talk to him about the Cubs. It took me two days to get up the nerve, and finally, I was like, Cubs fan, right? Like, it was so awkward, you know? And he was like, yeah, you a Cubs fan? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, well, they look really good this year, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah. We, like, got to talk about the Cubs for a second, um, which was just, like, a dream, dream come true moment for me, honestly. Uh, Elizabeth, I can't tell you what an amazing segue that was. Yeah, <laughs> just priceless. Ben, yeah, you yeah, are I, getting I Ben is also setup. a Cubs fan. What? Yeah, it's in the notes. It's actually just Cubs fan, like just question mark was the the whole thing. Okay, that's crazy. I could have gone with the other story, which would have been far less interesting. That's crazy. See, he's right. So, how do we? I mean, I I won't. I won't. I don't know how much time we have, so I won't get into it too much. But how do we feel? I mean, this whole. I mean, I think. I hope they. I hope we get some baseball this year. Yeah, I'm I'm very pessimistic about it actually happening, but I, I was right. curious if you thought if it did happen, would we have a better chance of winning because we have such an old pitching staff. They're, they're like right. getting up there, and now it's a shorter, certain season. So, like, maybe they can, you know, work at prime capacity for those 60 games and just knock it out. Right. I feel like it, it, there's an answer for, like, other teams, and then there's, like, kind of an answer for the Cubs because, the like, it's like – the Cubs kind of like, ah, you just don't really, you don't really know. You know, it's like sometimes we, we really get it in the first half of the season and sometimes we don't. And I think that um, I, I, what I like about it, though, is for Rossi, like I like the – everyone, by the way, is, cha- is putting their baseball teams in the chats. Stop it. Um, yeah, this is a Cubs like, talk now. That's what we're doing. This is a Cubs talk. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> I like I like the idea of Ross of David Ross our, our our new manager. I like the idea of him getting a bit of like a like a feeler, like a little bit of like a shorter season to kind of like get. Not that he needs it, but like I think it'd be kind of cool to get like a little bit of almost a practice run. So I like that aspect of it for the Cubs. I think the Cubs are so little league sometimes as well. Like I love how they just like play little league baseball sometimes. At least they did with Joe Madden, you know, like he would just like change position. People would change positions randomly. And like, but I do feel like a short season kind of is the kind of energy that the Cubs kind of thrive on sometimes. I, I hope they can just step into it. Like it's, it's, the, it's like you were saying last year was such a tale of two teams where yeah. it felt like sometimes they were, they were right on and we were ready yeah. to make a run at it. And other times you're like, what is, what has happened here? Uh, totally. So I, hope. I, 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 I hope so too. I, and I think that I don't, you know, I mean, we're Cubs fans. We don't care either way. We love them regardless. <laughs> like right. we always yeah. will. Like, especially this you know, team. Like this is a great team. I want to see. Yeah, I wanna see. Yeah, yeah. I know. I agree. And I want to see like David Ross, like, you know, have a great first season, however many games that is. And um, yeah. have you seen Rizzo, by the way? He like, lo- he like is no longer like a refrigerator. He like lost weight and like. Oh, is, really? Yeah. He's like oh, gotten wow. like sevelt. Hmm. Maybe he went I'm on Schwarber's big, diet I'm or exercise Rizzo. routine. Yeah. Maybe he, he, he was quarantining with Schwarber. <laughs> yeah. They just ate chicken all day. That's, that's yeah. pretty much all they did. They Chicken gym, chicken gym, done. Totally. 
Totally. I, 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 I want to interrupt, but I kind of don't. Like, you guys should have started a podcast called, like, Yards of Ivy or something. Yes. Millions. podcast pilot. Yards, Yards of Ivy, by the way, is great. That is a great title. <laughs> that is title. a good title, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but something we've been asking everyone who's been on the podcast just in sort of these unprecedented times where, like, we've had, you know, a lot of time for ourselves and obviously all this wealth of digital streamers to binge stuff on. What what ha- what have you been watching or things that you've caught up with that maybe you never had a chance to before based on your work schedule? I mean, I will say that like I watch stuff even when I'm working. So I um, I usually watch a lot of stuff. That's kind of my way of relaxing is like coming home and watching something. So um, it's not really like that different for me. But um, normal people, I'm obsessed with. I've been watching. Um, uh, this may destroy you. It's incredible. Um, huge fan. Uh, Watchmen. I've been catching up on, which I never got to really get into. So I'm catching up on that. Um, God, I watch so much stuff. Um, I was just watching the new Blumhouse movie with Kevin Bacon that came out. That's scary. Um, I just watch this. I stop me whenever you run out of time. I just watched this movie Caliber that's incredible on Netflix. Have you seen that? No. Oh, it's like a. It's so good and disturbing and amazing. Um, Director Matt Palmer. um, I'll make a recommendation. Yes, uh, please. Because I recommend this to everyone. Like Babylon Berlin. um, Oh my God, I've heard about that. Listen, it is bananas. (laughs) Like, like and I like, thought, I mean, I get really jaded. I get really jaded. You like leaned in there. You were like, Listen. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to give Erica my email address, and once you have watched it, you okay. can come back to me, and we okay. can, you will another, see why I will justify the lean-in. Yep, another another good friend of mine who works on Handmaid's, David Lesser, he recommended Babylon Berlin to me and said, like, he was like, I can't believe you haven't seen this show. <laughs> That's what I feel. I When I first heard of it a few months ago, I was just like, Jesus Christ, what, are the, what is every, what does this make sense? I've never even heard of it. And then yeah. once you watch it, uh yeah it's 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 basically the ring like you it's all you can think about once you've seen it really okay all right i'm gonna watch it it's amazing okay i'm gonna watch it anything else any other recommendations ben's favorite Uh, show of the year was uh normal people and his favorite show last year was basically watchmen so no you oh perfect so i've got that offensively good taste taste. i mean it's not surprising but just Fantastic. I, I mean, I always, we always plug better things. We always tell people to watch better oh. things, whatever they yeah. can. Work, work in progress, oh, I love better things. Work in progress, work in progress. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. It is on Hulu now for like six days. There's like six days left, right? <laughs> Speaking yeah. of the ring. Yeah. Very so, limited time, but yeah. Yeah, it's got a yeah. short window. Yeah. It's a tiny yeah. window. Okay, <laughs> I'll get in there quickly. <laughs> There's nothing else going on, you yeah, know. Right. But, <laughs> I've, I've been burning through a bunch of old stuff like I actually started the shelter in place with the West Wing as oh, like cool. what I called uh, what I termed executive branch escapism to like try to forget <laughs> try to forget what was actually happening at the time yeah um but yeah, yeah totally now now I'm onto the wire which is have you seen the wire yet or is this yeah versus- this okay, is like my so that's- like fourth or fifth rewatch okay yeah that's like it's a very specific, uh, that's the reason why I asked, because you're either like, you've never seen The Wire or you've seen it like five times. Um, <laughs> we should totally. probably let you go yeah. now. Yeah.
Um, unless you so. want to join our podcast on a weekly <laughs> always, basis, yeah, like, we're okay, always let's looking. Pretend. Let's talk about. No, I'll let you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time podcast, with us, guys. You just let me know. I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Oh yes. We'll Thank you so talk much. Talk about the spinoff as well. Yard, Yards of Ivy. We'll talk Yards about the spinoff. All right. Um, well- Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks for taking time guys. out of your day to talk to We're us. Uh, such big fans. Um, yeah. Thank it's you. Really, it's really just a joy to speak with you. So it was a lovely so way to end the day. So thank you guys. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.